Honor the victims, celebrate the heroes. That's Genius Book Publishing's approach to true crime. Covering some of the most important cases in crime worldwide, our books never glorify the killers, and the authors work tirelessly to bring the bad guys to justice. From the Melissa Witt case all the way to the Golden State Killer and the Zodiac, if you're looking for solid, meticulously researched, thrilling true crime, look no further than Genius Book Publishing's catalog of titles. Visit GeniusTrueCrime.com for the best true crime books available. Also available on Amazon, Kobo, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes. I'm Alicia Lockhart. And I'm LaDonna Humphrey. Welcome to Deep Dark Secrets, the podcast that shines a light in some dark places. Today, Alicia and I will be covering another horrifying tale of a woman who was murdered by a dangerous and depraved death fetish predator. That's right. Today, we're going to be sharing the story of Kim Wall, a seasoned freelance journalist who wrote stories for The New York Times, The Guardian, and The Atlantic. Kim had a reputation for writing hard-hitting stories and also for her fearless pursuit of stories. It sounds like she was a really good journalist. Yeah, she had a great reputation and just wanted to work really hard to tell stories about helping people, especially like marginalized people. She was just a phenomenal human. And she traveled to a lot of dangerous corners of the world to get the story. She would go to places like Uganda and Haiti, and she would focus on these stories that she liked to call the undercurrents of rebellion. So that's kind of a little bit of background on who Kim was and what her work was about, why she was always traveling. So I'm going to set the stage for you. In 2017, she traveled to Copenhagen, which is about 40 miles from the Swedish town where she was raised. And she was feeling relatively safe on that journey because she was close to her hometown, you know, familiar with that area. And she had no idea that the story she was working on then would be her final assignment. Yeah, you're right about that. It's sad to think about that, you know, because she wanted to help people. And here she was close to her hometown covering a story. And to know that that's where her life ended really breaks my heart. Yeah, it's just sad. It is. It really is. And one of the things that struck me is that compared to some of the dangerous places she had visited during her time as a journalist, she didn't feel threatened by this assignment. I mean, it's like you mentioned, this was familiar territory. It was like her own backyard. And this particular assignment she was going after, she had intended for it to be just like a quick interview. She was going to interview this quirky aerospace engineer who was famous for something that's really bizarre, a homemade submarine. Oh. Yeah, super interesting, and I could see how that might be fun for her, and she was wanting to showcase something that this engineer had done, and 
So it seemed like an easy assignment for her. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a scary story to be covering. I feel like as a journalist, sometimes you're going into some pretty tense situations, but like a little homemade submarine? Right. And and it's in an us. She had even told her boyfriend that this was a quirky assignment. So she recognized that. So she really didn't have any idea just how dangerous this engineer was going to turn out to be. And the engineer, he was 46-year-old Peter Madsen. He was an inventor and an entrepreneur. He was very well-known in Denmark because he had quirky inventions. And so Kim was very interested in interviewing him because she was in between assignments and she wanted to go and do this for him to help the world see that he had invented or had put together this homemade submarine. So on August 10th, 2017, Kim boarded his submarine, but she never returned. I'm sure that that was really terrifying for Kim's family and her boyfriend because she just seemed to disappear into thin air. She was just in a familiar area doing what she loved to do. Kim's boyfriend, of course, was concerned that he hadn't heard from her. They stayed in very close contact. And so He went ahead and told the police that she had never returned after her trip to see Peter's submarine, that he just hadn't heard anything from her after that. So the police immediately began to search for Kim, but they couldn't find her. They didn't have any clues as to where she could have been. And suddenly on August 21st, about 10 days of them searching, a cyclist discovered a human torso that had washed up on the shore in an area south of Copenhagen. Ugh, it's awful. The investigators determined that this torso definitely belonged to missing journalist Kim Wall. And oh, that's we- horrific. Uh, I, I wanted to add, too, I read somewhere when we were researching this that her boyfriend had tremendous guilt about this. Because he had actually considered going with her to the submarine, and then he didn't. You can't be too safe in this day and age. It's unfortunate that he didn't go with her, but it's definitely not his fault. Yeah, just as you're recounting what happened and talking about finding like her torso, I just, I can't imagine the pain and the guilt that he felt. Yeah, I think that's so natural. When bad things happen, we always do kind of go back in our mind and think about all the ways we could have prevented them. But no one could have known that Kim was going to fall into the hands of a sick pervert like this. And when they did an autopsy on her torso, they came to this frightening conclusion. They discovered that she had either been stabbed at the time of her death or shortly after. And guess who the prime uh, suspect was? Oh, no. Is it the submarine guy? Yes, the submarine guy, Peter Madsen. He was the prime suspect. He was the last person that saw her alive. Authorities believe that Peter had even strategically caused wounds near Kim's ribcage in order to keep her body from floating to the surface of the water. Oh, that's terrible and devious and frightening. Even more horrific was the fact that the medical examiner had found multiple stabs wounds to Kim's genitalia. And so they were starting to get a more clear picture here about her murder and how it potentially had a sexual leaning because she was stabbed over 14 times. And some of those 
were in her private areas. That's an unusual place to be stabbing somebody. That's a very violent murder. That's awful. And it just, it gets worse. On October 7th of 2017, some divers wind up finding Kim's head and her legs. And they were a little more than half a mile from where her torso had been recovered. So we can tell that Kim's murderer was really trying his best to conceal those body parts, the head and the legs in plastic bags, because they were filled, the bags that had her head and legs in them were filled with scrap metal. So somebody was trying to weigh down these bags to get rid of this evidence. So essentially, sorry to jump in here, he kills her on the submarine then, right? That's what everybody's assuming at this point. And then fills the bags up and then tosses them off the submarine. Right. That's kind of how I'm putting this together in my mind right now. I think that's likely what happened. And then the authorities did find another bag with Kim's clothing. So with her shirt, her skirt, her socks, her shoes, and a knife. Did they find blood on the knife or do we know? I don't see anything that says if there's blood on the knife or not. But one of the lead investigators, Jones Jensen, was quoted as saying that all of this evidence and the murder in general was just beyond gruesome and I think it's very telling that that bag with all her stuff had that knife in it. Like, it's clearly somebody just destroying evidence. That's awful. And not very smart, even though they tried to fill those bags with the scrap metal that you mentioned. I mean, it all ended up washing up ashore. So thankfully, that's the way the cops can catch the bad guys. And in this scenario, they were on to the bad guy almost from the beginning. Because as you mentioned, Peter immediately became a suspect. And one of the main reasons he did become a suspect is because that submarine that he was in did not come back to harbor as planned on August 10th, 2017. That was the day he had taken Kim out. Yeah, that's super suspicious. Like his submarine sets sail after she comes aboard. Yeah, I just, I guess he thinks he's going to take off. And so investigators get the missing persons report. They learn about Peter from the boyfriend. And so they begin to search for the vessel just immediately after Kim was reported missing. And eventually they found it. A rescue helicopter actually spotted it on August 11th around 10.30 p.m. So they were seriously searching because here it is 10.30 at night. What's even more interesting is just right after they discover the submarine, it sinks. Almost immediately. And Peter, unbelievable. Right. It, it is. I thought, wow, what a twist. And Peter escapes the sinking vessel and he swims to a nearby boat of fishermen. You know, they save him. Do you and, think he uh, sunk it on purpose? Like another destroying the evidence situation? He did later learn that he did sink the submarine on purpose. He was going all out. But it's a little obvious, Peter. I'm sorry. You're sinking an entire submarine. I'm sorry. I think that that points to murder. That's the biggest bag of evidence that you're trying to sink. There you go. So he swims to these fishermen. He gets on the boat. They take him to the port. And at the port, reporters are there. And they immediately meet Peter. And, you know, I could see that happening because these are other journalists, right? They've got 
Yeah, those are her fellow people. journalists. Yeah, that's her people. One of their people have been killed. And so they want answers. And they're talking to Peter. And he says that the submarine sank due to a faulty ballast tank. He's already coming up with this excuse. And so they listen to his excuse. And then they start demanding to know, where is Kim Wall? Mm-hmm. And according to Peter, he had dropped Kim off the night before at a restaurant. Oh, sure he did. But, you know, we know that's not true because of how the story unfolds. But he's at least making an attempt to cover up his crime. So the police were super suspicious. They start to really dig in and investigate Peter. And as a part of their investigation, they were able to determine that Peter had actually tanked that submarine on purpose. And it became very clear to the investigators that he was going to great lengths to destroy all evidence of this heinous crime he had committed. And so they are tailing him night and day. And he's brought in. And then a month later, Peter was ordered to appear in court. He was ordered to give his account of what happened to Kim Wall. And unbeknownst to Peter, investigators had found traces of Kim's blood inside the recovered submarine. So when he finds that out in court, he begins to panic and he tells the court that Kim's death was a terrible accident. Now he's fessing up. Yes, it's just one story after another. And he claims that he lost his grip on this heavy hatch door in the submarine and that it fell shut on Kim's head. And that seems really unlikely. It seems ridiculous. And Peter was quoted as saying, It was a terrible accident. It was a disaster. And no doctor could have done anything. She was severely injured. And there was this huge pool of blood where she landed. I touched her neck, but she had no pulse. I don't think so, buddy. If you hit someone in the head with your submarine door, you're going to run them to the hospital, whether or not they're not moving or have a pulse. Unless you're a fetisher, but I'll digress. Peter, of course, was lying because when the police discover Kim's head, you know, these divers are searching for other body parts. Once the torso washed up on the beach, they end up finding her head in this plastic bag on October 6, 2017. And when they did, the medical examiner says there were no signs of trauma. So Peter was caught in another lie. I hate this guy. He's the scum of the earth. Peter was not going to give up on trying to get away with this murder, though. So on October 30th, he changes his story again about how Kim died. He's saying he is innocent. He doesn't know exactly how she died. He thinks that maybe it could have been due to carbon monoxide poisoning. Carbon monoxide poisoning? Where'd he pull that one out? So he tells the police that he was on deck at one point while Kim was inside. So she would have been getting poisoned in there and he was outside safe to breathe the good air. She was inside looking around in the submarine. She died in there without him and he just had no idea why. Probably carbon monoxide poisoning. This guy's a clown. Not the best cover story, but I mean, he's grasping at straws. What is he going to do? He's got to try something. So to make matters worse, Peter also goes on to admit that, yes, he did dismember Kim's body and that this wasn't a horrific act of violence. It was just part of a burial at sea. Wait, dismembering someone is a burial at sea? 
Yeah, I I guess apparently he thinks that's part of every burial at sea ritual. It's just unbelievable the things this guy is saying to try to feign innocence. Wow. I've just, I've never heard this. Uh, We've been covering these stories and doing research for over a year and a half. And this is just mind-blowing to me. I think I say that, I joke about that in every every episode about saying mind-blowing, but I've never, ever heard a murderer come up with an excuse of, yeah, I dismembered them so I could bury them at sea. It was the most honorable thing I could do. It's just so ridiculous. And yeah, it's so really- fun to say that he just panicked after she died and that he believed this was the right thing to do, to just send her remains out to sea all dismembered. I think he was hoping that maybe... As awful as this is to say, but maybe he was thinking that sharks would come along and, and help destroy the evidence. What do you think? Probably, yeah. And he also gave the information that he just couldn't get her body to fit through the submarine door without dismembering her. So there's all these reasons why this was the most logical, sane move for him. And it's, it's so disgusting. Yeah, and I don't even, even know what that, to say about that. Yeah, even that was a lie. Because during the April 2018 trial, there was an expert testimony that strongly disputed that claim. The lieutenant commander in the Danish Navy said that they did not detect any CO2 in the submarine. And also that even if there was any mild CO2 levels, it wouldn't pose that kind of a threat to Kim. So it's very clear to me here that this is a bunch of bullshit. And that the truth is that Peter Madsen is a death fetisher. Yeah, he was. That's obvious to me. Who else besides death fetishers are just like, yeah, you got to dismember them. That's the right thing to do. Think back to some of the fetish forums that we've been a part of and the stories that we've read about dismemberment. It is a favorite theme amongst pretty hardcore death fetish members. And Peter didn't bat an eyelash at doing any of that. And so the police, they took him into custody on August 12th, 2017, and the medical examiners were able to link some DNA found on Peter to Kim. And once the authorities had probable cause to search his research laboratory, they did find his computer that had some video footage. Uh, Can you guess what, what it is? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, he's a footage. fetisher. I knew it. He is a fetisher through and through. This video footage that they found, the police were really worried because this video footage was presumed to be real. And it's this footage of an unknown assailant murdering women, strangling women, decapitating women. Wow. So did they assume that it was real like a snuff films? The police said it looked very real and that they were presuming it was real. And they couldn't say if it was Peter filming himself or if he had just downloaded these images from death fetish forums. But it was very concerning videos depicting things that Peter had done to Kim. We see this all the time. It can happen two ways. There can be guys who are going online, downloading all this content and watching it to psych themselves up or amp themselves up to go out and do it in real life. Or sometimes there's guys that are filming their kills and then uploading them. It's like a infinity loop. It goes both ways. That's just disgusting. And I'm wondering 
what Peter had to say about this footage that they found. When confronted, Peter still proclaimed that he was innocent. Of course he, he did. I'm sure that leaves our listeners to ask, well, how does he explain that footage? So in court, he maintains that that computer was, it was a public computer for everybody in the laboratory, in the research laboratory, and that it wasn't his personal property. He just worked on it when he was in the lab. But the evidence was really stacking up against Peter. He's a fetisher. and. This story about anybody could have accessed that computer, that's some bullshit right there. That's, that's almost as ridiculous and vile of an excuse as reading that the fetishers call all of this fantasy. Kim Wall's murder wasn't fantasy. No, Kim Wall was stabbed 14 times and stabbed in her genitalia. This Murder was clearly committed by somebody who was into torturing, into death fetish. And I don't think that Kim was hanging out with anybody else that worked at the research lab, just Peter. Yeah, that's the heartbreaking story. I mean, she did not deserve to die and she just fell into the wrong hands like we read about and hear about and talk about so many times when it comes to these dangerous men that are part of these communities. And not only are they part of these scary internet communities, they're part of our communities. They're in our real-life communities as zany inventors and doctors, lawyers, hotel managers. They're everywhere. They are. And thankfully, though, the police, in this case, just like we've seen in dozens of other cases, they armed themselves with the evidence that they need, and they charged Peter with Kim's murder. Good. And they said, look, we know you did this. Here are all the facts. And so he was actually charged with voluntary manslaughter, indecent handling of a corpse, and sexual assault. But remarkably, he entered a not guilty plea. So on March 8th, 2018, he tells the world, I am not guilty. And this was despite the pornographic murder videos that they found on his work computer, despite the DNA evidence, and despite his own confession about dismembering and dumping Kim's body. He goes ahead and stands up and says, not guilty. But Denmark prosecutors, they were not going to back down. And I love this. They said, we're going to seek a life sentence against you, Peter. And they really also pushed for something else. They wanted to have that submarine confiscated with the intent of destruction. They wanted it obliterated. Good. That's a horrific, terrifying submarine at that point, and it should be destroyed. Yeah, the submarine of murder. It's just awful. And one of the things that police found in that submarine when they were searching it after it was recovered, they found Kim's blood, like we talked about, but they also found this array of suspicious tools, like a sharpened 20-inch screwdriver. It had been sharpened in such a way that it was fashioned into um, a weapon instead of a tool. They found a saw, a hose, and straps. And so after they found this, law enforcement decide that they're going to charge Peter with premeditated murder. It became very clear that he had all of these death tools, so to speak, in his submarine waiting for Kim Wall. And they decided to just throw the book at him. It was very clear from the moment that Peter had invited Kim onto his submarine that he had every intention of murdering, raping, and dismembering her. And so Denmark police investigators, 
the whole crew, they were going after Peter. They wanted justice for Kim Wall. And I think that happens a lot with these fetishers. You start really looking at what's going on, the whole big picture, and you can see how truly evil some of these people are in these fetish forums. Their life is completely taken over by these thoughts and these fantasies. And so the police could see that clearly after looking through his submarine, his computer, all of that. And there was other evidence flowing in as well. There was a witness that came forward and she really drove the point home. She was an alleged sexual partner of Peter's who had been in contact with him regularly prior to Kim Wall's death. She revealed that Peter had texted her about his murder plan. Oh, wow. So this woman who chooses to remain anonymous for obvious reasons, she was working on some sort of video project and she playfully had asked Peter to motivate her through text messages so that she would finish it. And so I guess he's sending her some messages saying that he has a murder plan ready in the submarine. And she responds and says, I'm not afraid. You have to be more threatening. So then he talks about the tools he's going to use on her. So this was a back and forth text exchange that at the time seemed kind of like a joke. But when she realized that he had actually murdered somebody in the submarine, that he actually did have these tools, it became a little bit scary to look back on that conversation. You're recounting this conversation and I'm thinking they're kind of flirting with one another over the topic of murder. That bothers me. That's really sick and twisted. Yeah, and I think that some people do just have really dark senses of humor. So I understand how maybe that didn't trip this woman's radar right away. She just thought he was joking around. But when she looked back at it, it just was a very strange interaction that kind of adds a little bit of weight to this idea that this was a plan. It was premeditated. He was wanting to do this for a while and had planned on it. Yeah, I think it's a damning conversation. I think it absolutely goes to premeditation for sure. And then there was even another alleged former sexual partner that came forward to reveal that Peter had also sent her some provocative texts shortly before Kim Wall's murder that signified Peter's desire to make a snuff film in his submarine. Oh, wow. That's, that cinches the deal for me. He took an opportunity to kill Kim because this is something he was dreaming of doing. He definitely had a death fetish and a motive and a plan, and he was going to carry out his fantasies and, and make them a reality. And it seems like he did that, and that's so sad for Kim. What a tragic way for her life to end with all this good that she was doing in the world. The world needs people like Kim Wall who are going to tell these important stories. And here she is, out of the goodness of her own heart, trying to help this guy who turns out to be a fucking fetisher. It's maddening to me. And this is one of the stories that really motivates me to want to put a stop to the fucking I It's just that it, we have to stop them. 
yeah, this guy was lurking around. You know, he was throwing it out there to various women he was having sexual encounters with. And this didn't happen overnight. There was an escalation process. Peter was attending sexual fetish parties dressed in naval attire and an avid watcher of fetish films. He had a membership to a BDSM club. And none of those things are wrong in and of themselves. But what I see here is a man who is going to these places where there are people who are okay with bondage, torture, all those things. And even in this setting, he's going to these sex clubs, and it's reported that he was kicked out of the BDSM club because he seemed fascinated by what was going on, but he wasn't turned on, which tells me that he's not there to have sex. He's there because he's interested in the murdering and the torturing and the sadism. Those were the parts that interested him in that community, and he didn't even fit in with people there that were trying to have consensual sex-positive experiences. He was not welcome there anymore because he was just too much. Well, that statement that you made is a little frightening. He seems fascinated but not turned on. I mean, that seems very serial killer-esque to me. Yeah. Can you imagine you're at this BDSM club and there's a guy there that seems creepy to everybody who's there? It's just like how he stood out as there was something more here than just BDSM. Yeah, well, I'm convinced this guy was no good. So that you've convinced me. Police also discovered one more thing, though, about Peter, something really damning. The night before Kim's murder, he had accessed and watched a beheading video just one day before Kim was murdered and then chopped up into Oh, wow. How many times have we heard this story after story after story of these fetishers that murder were watching these horrific so-called fantasy flicks and it motivates them to go out and actually commit that kind of a crime. And here's another one. I mean, how many times do we have to say death fetish is real? It is not fantasy. It's real and it's influential and it's inspiring to people who are mentally ill and have this obsession and this desire. And this content should not be accessible to people online. You should not be able to go to Google and find these kind of videos because they're dangerous. They are influencing people to go ahead and go through with their plans to torture and murder women. It's not okay. Peter Madsen was a predator. He was a fetisher, but he, more importantly, was a predator. He absolutely was. It's just this story, it just really tugs at my heartstrings. I mean, as a journalist myself and my desire to want to do good in this world and to know that at any given time, any of us can come across the path of a fetisher whose intent is to murder, rape, and dismember or a variety of other things that are awful. This story really bothers me, and it makes me sad, too, that even to this day, nobody is sure the exact cause of Kim's death. It's just, it's labeled as unknown. And it's sad because those final moments between her and him could have gone a million ways, and only Peter 
has memory of that. I, I don't think he deserves that. I don't think he deserves the right to have any information that he has withheld from Kim's family and the people that loved her. They deserve to know how she died. I'm the type of person that I would want to know. I need to know. And I think a lot of people feel that way. And so I just don't think that he should have that right. But sadly, he does. And even though he does, you know, he's the only one that knows how she truly died. The case still went to trial. I mean, those Denmark prosecutors, they meant business. And I want to add this really quick before I go further. I think I'm going to write them a letter. I'm just really impressed. Send them some flowers. Yeah, I think I will. I mean, I'm impressed with their determination and their courage to push forward and to get justice for Kim. That, I think, is amazing. And they maintained the entire time that they were going to stop at nothing. And so they push it to trial, and the prosecution during the trial said that they believed that her death could have taken place in a variety of different ways. They thought maybe that Peter had cut her throat or possibly he had strangled her. They say, here's why we believe this, because his most common searches on the internet, Peter's most common internet searches were for torture videos and things that involved a girl's throat, pain, and so on and so forth. And so they really believe he was hyper fixated on murdering a woman that way, either through cutting her head off, slicing her throat, or strangling her. And so that's the angle that they pursued. The coroner testified that while Kim did not exhibit definitive signs of strangulation, it was very likely in his belief that her airway had been partially or totally cut off in some manner. And I kind of wonder if he didn't strangle her first and then committed the rest of these heinous acts after her death. There was some belief that many of her stab wounds were actually inflicted post-mortem. Just makes me wonder what all he did. You know, we may never know, but. Yeah, it's hard to know. It's just sad for the family to not have closure on exactly what happened. So sad. Yeah, it's very sad. Regardless, based on all of the evidence, on April 25th, 2018, a Copenhagen court found Peter guilty of Kim's murder. I'm so glad. And he was sentenced to life in prison. Peter's lawyers, of course, they appealed the verdict, but the court denied his appeal in September of 2018. Good. He doesn't deserve an appeal. No. But the one thing that bothers me about this case is that a life sentence in Denmark is much different than a, a life sentence in the United States. In Denmark, life doesn't mean life. It's actually more like 15 to 17 years. That's what's typical. Oh, that's really low. Do you know why that is? No, I'm really not sure. It's something that I think I'm going to investigate and spend some more time trying to understand because that's troubling. He was, what, mid-40s when this happened, like 46. He could very well get out and kill some more women. And so that bothers me a little bit that he is not going to serve the rest of his life for what he did to Kim. And he really should. It should be a life for a life. I agree with that. And I think what comes to mind, and if you're game to do this, I really think it's important that we really help Denmark understand 
death fetish and these types of crimes, maybe just try to exchange some information with some people there and maybe even work with people that live in Denmark in hopes of changing the structure of sentences for criminals in their country, because I think that's important. And I think if they see the prevalence, and I do use the word prevalence because these fetish type of murders are not uncommon. We have, what, 15 episodes out so far, and many of our episodes are about murders that have been committed in the death fetish community. And I think if we could just maybe turn them on to what we've discovered and give them something to think about, that maybe at some point an army could rise up in Denmark and say, we want to change the laws and we're going to stand against death fetish. That's a fantastic idea. And there's no harm in reaching out and just starting a conversation there because this is a global problem. We've been pretty focused on laws in the U.S. and wanting more enforcement of obscenity laws there. But this is work that can be done everywhere. And with every murder that we uncover that has to do with this community, it's just become crystal clear that at this point, even just calling these people fetishers may not be a strong enough word. It, it might even be time for us to just call them what they really are, which is predators. They are dangerous predators. And they're out there killing women. They are looking at this content and being inspired to go kill women in the real world. It's scary to realize how many of these cases tie back into these online forums tie back into these videos that are produced by death fetish producers. Well, it's frightening. I want to add something to this. Even though there may be large groups of people within these communities that aren't committing murder, they are still putting together content that inspires murder. And so they're yeah, just content, as guilty. It's content for the murderers. They become a part of that murder in a way. How would Peter have wound up if he couldn't find any of that content? He might think, wow, I'm a super freak. I need to get help. But that was not the case. He was able to find decapitation videos. He was able to find videos of women being strangled to death, videos of women getting their throats slit. And you know what? That's on you, death fetish producers. You created that content that made Peter feel like this was okay to do to somebody. I think that they should be held responsible too as an accessory to murder. It's something I've really been thinking about because it is murder inspiration. And I know that that's a really radical way to look at this, but I think if there was any way to start holding those producers and those people accountable for the inspiration for these films, that we would see a drastic, a drastic change almost immediately if they knew that they could be held accountable for inciting a murder, because that's what they're doing. Yeah, I don't think they think of it that way, but that's how I see it too. Each week, we're going to continue to cover these stories so that we can remember the victims and just stand against this vile industry. It is not a safe industry. It is not harmless, and it's not fantasy. It's not okay. Well, it's terrible. Thankfully, just being persistent does pay off because some of these websites are going down as a result of us doing the work that we're doing. And we're just going to keep pushing ahead and keep watching them go down one by one by one. 
That's right. We are going to continue to stand firm. Please join us again next week. But until then, remember, keep your lights on. For exclusive content from this episode and all other episodes, head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash deep dark secrets. Sign up and you'll be able to see some visuals that accompany each episode.